is in the piece of advice I would give to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs here is just basically build something small, simple, real right now, get it out the door, deliver it, and then iterate on top of it. Like it doesn't need to be perfect now. It won't be perfect ever, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but like being able to get something out the door quickly to validate that idea, I think is a lot more important than spending hours and hours making it perfect and potentially never launching it. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups and seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast. And I think all of our guests are great. So it's hard to say that there are another great guest because they're also great. But another great guest on the podcast, Scott Hirsch. And uh, as a quick intro to Scott. Um, so Scott, uh, growing up, always kind of knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur. I loved, uh, loved tech and technology um, and was going to high school um, and was looking to get a job in high school and looked around. And it was uh, right in the downturn of the economy, 2008, 2009, couldn't find anything. Um, so decided rather than just give up and not uh, have any job that he started his own business, which was a tutoring business in high school. After uh, high school, went to college, got a business and technology degree, graduated, um, did a couple of years of web development. One of those, I think, was in Japan, and then uh, did some work on a sales uh, with Salesforce platform as a contractor, um, and then uh, got together with a couple of friends and started the current business. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Scott. Thanks so much, Devin. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I gave a quick run through to a much longer journey. So let's take us back a, a bit back in time and uh, growing up wanting to be an entrepreneur and loving tech and how your journey got started there. Yeah, I love that. Thanks so much for that intro. Yeah. So back in high school, when I was initially looking for a job, of course, I went door to door, knocked on every restaurant door, retail store that I could find, trying to find a minimum wage job. My expectations are very high there, but like you hinted at there, it was also the downturn in the economy around 08, 09. So it's really difficult to find that initial job. And so what I kind of took that as an opportunity to reapproach my, you know, approach to that job search process. And then so I decided to start my own little tutoring business there. I had some friends in high school that needed extra help and I knew that their parents would be willing to pay for it. So just started off with a couple of friends and uh, on the evenings after school, we'd go over to their place, give them a little bit of help with math or English or something along those lines. And then write up a little invoice and then send it off to the parents afterwards. No, and that, that and so just out of curiosity, because I mean, I think that that's admirable that, you know, you're saying, hey, I can't get a job. You know, a lot of, you know, especially, you know, not putting down this day and age, because I think there are a lot of great uh, high schoolers and kids and things doing it, but also seems a lot of times it's like, well, I can't find a job. No worries. You know, I'll just continue to, you know, go along, be at home and do, do other activities. But instead you're saying, hey, Let's go, let's go start our own business and, and do something. What made you decide to, to go on uh, doing tutoring? Was it just, it was a great student, thought you could teach others or how, what kind of made you land on tutoring? Yeah, that's a great question. I was taking something that I was already good at and helping other kids in the class too, right? So I was like, you know, this, the teachers would kind of um, help point me in the right direction and just say like, can you help out this other student that's having a little bit of trouble? So I'd always kind of jump up and say like, yeah, I can definitely help out. So I was a little bit of a stronger student in that sense, but it turned into an opportunity to help out on a more professional level there too. I think the next kind of step there that I ran into is, you know, scaling that business out a little bit. Um, so after a certain point, I gained a whole bunch of different clients and 
Uh, I was, you know, booked up every day of the week for the most part because the referrals actually kept coming in. There's lots of people, particularly around exam season and stuff like that, that needed some extra help. Uh, so what I did there was like, I found another or a couple other really smart students, uh, a couple of my friends, and then we came on in, in terms of like uh, partners. And so they, you know, under the same kind of thing. So when I would have overflow with some of the tutoring clients that I had, I'd pass them off to them and then just run their own little thing there too. Give them all the structure with like, oh, this is how I, you know, write an invoice. This is how I schedule the time. This is the expectations for what this, you know, quote unquote business actually looks like. Uh, and we got a website set up and we had everything advertised online and then that helped us gain a little bit more traffic there too. So we managed to scale that up to about like three different partners, uh, pulling in, you know, a few thousand dollars a month, every, <laughs> every month. So that was kind of nice. And then, uh, we ran that for about seven or eight years, even all the way through university. Well, sounds like a pretty good thing. And, you know, saying, Hey, I, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm thinking I'm good at it, which I always think is a good thing. But then you're also saying, you know, I always, drives me nuts when people say, well, just follow your passion and you'll be able to, you know, you'll never work a day in your life or some cliche like that. And it's like, well, you have to follow your passion and that's a good thing, but it also has to be something that people are willing to pay you for that it's actually wanted in the marketplace. And so I think that sounds like, you know, that was a good opportunity as you were doing it both in high school and even on to, to college to be able to use that as a source of income. And it sounds like, you know, build a business a bit, build a reputation. So out of pure curiosity, then we'll go back to, um, to your, you know, what you're doing or what happened after you went to school. Did you shut it down? Did you sell it off or what happened to it? Is you, cause you went to college, you got a degree, you came out and you, you know, joined the workforce for a period of time, but what happened to the tutoring business that you spent seven or eight years with? It just wound it down for the most part. So like I had a couple of other partners I was working with and they were kind of on the same path that I was, they were, you know, finding jobs, going to school. And it was something that uh, they didn't have the time for. So we kind of just wound it down after a certain point, but we have all the assets. We finished off all with all the clients. We just kind of said, you know, at the end of the semester, we're going to be wrapping things up. We really appreciate your business, but um, mm-hmm. here's a referral to a couple of other tutoring businesses that we know. And then we just kind of wound it down. So I think that it ended up in a good place. Uh, but yeah, that's how we closed that off. Always interesting to see where where it goes. I was hoping that you sold it off for millions of dollars and then they would just <laughs> say yeah for life. But for sure, right? Me not too. <laughs> usually the case, but we can always hope. But so no, so yeah, so now you go while you're doing it in college, you kind of continue to have that as an income. You go get your uh, business and technology degree coming out, um, and then you know, kind of how did you join the workforce? Where did you go, and how did you decide to, how to get your career kicked off? Yeah, for sure. So like I started uh, just in web development, the first year of work that I did as a web developer was over in Japan. Uh, So I found that actually through the university. And I was working for a small, well, actually not technically a small manufacturing company, but manufacturing company, they turn over about uh, half a billion dollars in revenue every year. Uh, They make small metal parts. So things like little rivets, screws, pins, like if you ever have any fluorescent tubes in your office building or anything like that, the little two bronze pins at the end, they make those. Uh, They control about 80 or 90% of the market of those specific kinds of pins. (laughs) So that's the kind of company that I was working for. Uh, So I was working on some internal IT there, specifically in a web development capacity. And that's where I really cut my teeth around like, oh, this is something I want to do. I really have a passion for technology. I can see the business value that interesting business applications and web applications can deliver for businesses. Uh, And it was a really cool place to live and learn too. So like just living in Japan, you get to do all the cool stuff, you know, like eat the sushi and climb Mount Fuji and see all the sites. So that was really neat to do. Um, But then after that, I switched into a uh, more of a consulting role. 
uh, for the Salesforce uh, platform. So as a full-time staff position, I went to work for an agency that did some implementations of Salesforce, which is a customer relationship management system. And it's mm -hmm. a very exciting platform. Yeah. Now, one question before you get into that, what made you decide to transition? You know, you went to do the IT, worked in Japan for a year. What made you decide to kind of switch over and do the, the contracting position uh, with the Salesforce platform? Yeah, so the initial web development position was under a one-year contract and just in terms of the work visa situation. So that was only set up for a year. So a, a transition was absolutely necessary from that point too, but uh, it was a really cool opportunity that came up for the Salesforce platform. No, makes sense. And that is probably a good reason. If you don't have a visa and you're no longer legal in the country, you probably have to find something else. <laughs> that makes sense. So, so now you did Salesforce. You did that as a contract position for a period of time. And then I think as you were doing that, if I remember right, as we talked a little bit before, um, you also got together with a couple of friends and kind of had the idea for the business you guys were are doing now, but you kind of had that idea and started out as a side hustle as well. So kind of how did you, as you were doing the kind of full-time gig with the Salesforce contractor, how did you get going or how did the current business evolve? Yeah, for sure. So I was working for a couple of years uh, in that Salesforce position. And then uh, one of my old university friends called me up one day and was like, hey, I have this crazy idea. Do you want to come like test it out with me? And it was very, uh, I'll say like a minimal amount of work to start off with because we just did it off the side of our desk as a part-time basis. So it was myself, another fellow named Stephen Ruggles, and a third guy named Kai Javan. Uh, we got together and has had this idea. And basically the concept was like an always available digital bench of talent that a, an employer could pop in at any time and pull somebody into an interview room for. They knew that that talent was pre-interviewed. So they had a phone screening and a resume review. They were qualified in terms of their um, resume. And then uh, they would also be very responsive for being able to come into that interview too. So um, we started to test it out on evenings and weekends. We sat down and had a hundred copies with a hundred different people to validate the idea, whether those were candidates or employers. We put some, you know, skeleton wire together, figured out what the minimum viable product was. And we started to test out that idea. Hmm. So now you test out the idea and, you know, I think that's great. And one of the things that I see, and sometimes it works out, but a lot of times people, oh, I've got this really exciting idea and I'm going to be a millionaire within a year, you know, or, or a billionaire now. And I'm going to be a, you know, a unicorn in that. And so I'm not even going to bother. I'm just jumping out of my job and you don't even bother to test it or test it out in the marketplace or see if people want to buy it. Sometimes it works out, a lot of times it doesn't. So I think that there's a lot of times it's a good motivation, you know, at least initially test it out, get that market feedback, do that market research why you still have the other job and before you dive into it such that you can see okay this is a worthwhile time to, or worthwhile thing to make a transition on so it sounds like definitely a smart uh, way to go about that so you go out and you're saying okay got my full-time job doing salesforce contracting working on that platform had this idea go out and test it out in the marketplace people want it sounds like you know that there's it's not a, a huge lift in order to get at least a initial or beta or, or you know, a version of it up and going. And then how did it go from there? You know, did you start bringing on clients and start or doing it or kind of how did you evolve the business as it started out as a side hustle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the intention for us was always to bootstrap it from the beginning as well. So like we weren't going to go out, raise a million dollars, have to click out of jobs and build this big, great thing right away. Um, because of the testing that we were doing, we managed to exactly like you said, bring on a few clients here or there. And then as we were building that client list, then it slowly became something that we couldn't handle just off the side of our desk. It was slowly, you know, creeping across the desk. We needed a little bit more space and time to be able to handle that. Um, so it came to a head in the December of 2016, so right at the beginning of 2017 is when we all decided to quit our full-time jobs and take a run at Talent Marketplace full-time. So 
that's what kind of was the tipping point for us was like, it just became a little bit too much work. Uh, we had too many clients. We had enough validation to say, we believe in this idea. We think it can grow. We think it will grow. We do see it growing already a little bit. Um, and that gave us the validation that we needed to take the full-time commitment and jump on it, to, um, jump on to it. <laughs> no, and that, uh, and I think that that's, you know, Hey, we're going to bootstrap it. We're going to, especially for, you know, platforms where if you're doing a, you know, the world's next best iPhone, that's going to be millions of dollars investment. It's going to be years of R and D and that hard to bootstrap it. But I think most people under most circumstances, while you want to always jump to, Hey, we just got huge amounts of investor dollars that makes us feel big. We have nice office space. We have a lot of, you know, cool things in the office and got all new gear. That's great. But then you're also giving up a, a lot of your business and, you know, whether you're taking on a lot of uh, people on the business on the, as partners that you may not want to, and there's a lot of strings attached. So I always think that, you know, taking that, Hey, let's see if we can bootstrap it. What is that product that we can provide to people that will, that we can start to get that revenue and in that cash flow and without having to bring on other partners or other people if we're not ready to. And so I think that definitely sounds like a good way to do it. So now you get busy, you know, Obviously, you got busy enough saying, okay, can't balance this with my full-time job. Got to choose one or the other. Love uh, love the side hustles or where my passion's at. And it's, it's growing enough that we need to give it a full-time focus. You jump over. Was it a smooth transition? Jumped over and it was a, you know, picking up where you left off or did it hey, this is different now that it's a full-time gig and I, you know, I, I feel the pressure. We have to make enough to support myself and those kind of things. Or how did that transition go from kind of side hustle to full-time gig? Yeah, and that is that was an, actually a little bit of a bumpy transition for sure. And what I mean by that is, is when we went on to it full time, honestly, we didn't know what we were doing fully. The three of us are all first time founders. So it's definitely a learning experience for all of us there. Um, but we definitely figured it out really quickly. So we knew that from the technology perspective, we had to get a beta up and running as quickly as we possibly could. Um, our initial like MVP of the product was literally just like an Excel spreadsheet with like 30 people in it. So that proved out to be good enough for the first like handful of clients. But then from there, what we ended up doing is we wanted to build an actual like platform piece for it. Um, thankfully, from the work that we did previously, we had some wireframes that were already set up. So uh, with a little bit of more help and design and some manipulation, I put together some more structured requirements for the system. And then we hired uh, a developer to help us build that initial form of the website. So basically, we outsourced that. We put a little bit of money into it, a very small amount of money. Uh, and then we got that beta launched. So it was about February of 2017. So we managed to turn it around pretty quickly that we actually launched the beta there. And then by March and April, we started to have a few clients on the platform. And by May, we had repaid our investment into the platform. So that was a pretty quick turnaround to at least like what we call a break even there. Um, so we're really happy about that piece. But then from there on, it was really a little bit of a rocky transition, a little bit bumpy to figure out exactly what our day-to-day -day processes were. So like we knew that we need to get more candidates on the platform, we need to get more employers on the platform, but it wasn't necessarily super clear to us what the best methods and the process should be for doing that. Uh, it was a new field for all three of the founders, but we definitely figured it out. So we had Steven hitting the phones every single day, hitting up LinkedIn to make sure that we could try to get some more candidates onto the platform. We had Kaid going out and, uh, you know, pounding the pavement on the streets, knocking on employers' doors to make sure that they get onto the platform. Then there was me making sure that the platform itself was up to snuff, make sure we had the tools and the enablement from the technology side to be able to handle the volume of new folks that were signing up and also to automate the processes that Kaid and Steven were actually doing as well. So that started to get figured out, but you know, it was, it was always interesting learning about where the challenges in the actual process are, because it's a very human thing with uh, particularly recruitment and job searching and hiring. Uh, and it's really interesting to see how technology actually can't solve some of those problems, but 
that in those cases we have an essential human touch that I think is really important there too. But yeah, it's a little bit of a rocky transition, but I think uh, we're humming and hawing now, so it's all it's all good. <laughs> no, but I, you know, and I think that oftentimes we want to kind of skip over that rocky stuff because you know you read the book, you see the movie, you know, you watch the show or anything else, and it's just like, oh yeah, we jumped over and it was it was perfect, and we just it was you know everything that we ever dreamed of, and there was no issues, which is never reality, not the truth for ninety nine point nine percent of people, and yet you know that's kind of where I think that. The interesting is and so that's where everybody always kind of feels like what am I doing wrong why am I not having this uh, this smooth thing where it goes perfectly but there's always I think that transition to where you're having to get things figured out you're having to do it and I like the second point you made which is also I am a big proponent of technology we do a lot of automation we do a lot of other things within our business to make things easier but you have to get that balanced with the human touch which if you go one way too far one way where it's all human touch and it makes it unmanageable and too time consuming but if you go all technology and you don't have that balance of human touch then it oftentimes doesn't work because people feel like that they can't ever talk with somebody or they can't ever get answers or they don't know what's going on and they can never get help so i like the you know i think that's always kind of that growing pain of finding that right balance for the different industries so now as you're kind of taking that to where you're at today, you know, a little bit of bringing us to the present, looking now a bit in the future, the next, you know, six, 12 months, kind of where do you see things headed? Where, or where you guys head, what direction you guys going? More generally, <laughs> more employers, more hires, more candidates, bigger platform. We have some really cool features that are being built out on the development side right now. We're completely revamping the employer profile to give a lot more insights and metrics into the hiring process and the work that the platform and the team is actually doing to help support the employer in their hiring process. And we also are implementing a whole bunch of new machine learning algorithms to help with the matching process, the rating and ranking of candidates, and to help uh, speed up the overall process there too. Uh, we are looking at some like par resume parsing stuff to help speed up the candidate registration process and make that as seamless as possible as well. And that's all like some of the technology stuff that we're building out. And I think that's super exciting for sure. But um, with the VC money that we actually got a little bit earlier this year back in May, that's actually helped accelerate our sales and marketing side as well. And that's another focus for 2022 too. Again, we want to try to double our revenue for the fourth year in a row, I think. <laughs> so we're going to try to ramp up the sales and marketing side there as well. So what we're going to be doing to help that along is we're putting out a lot more like digital advertisements. We're trying to get on to more of the social media platforms like LinkedIn and a little bit on Facebook too, to run some more advertisements there to get people onto the platform. Uh, we are um, scaling up the sales team to make sure that we have more, you know, boots on the ground, uh, pounding the pavement to see if we can get some more help, uh, uh, sorry, help out some more employers with their hiring processes there too. So yeah, so we are very excited for the next six to 12 months because we're actually scaling up the team quite a bit as well as we're scaling up the platform. In the past, um, I think it was the past three months or so, like I've hired three new developers and they're all excited and rocking and rolling on the platform there too. So it's really cool to see the team actually really thriving over the past few months for sure. Well, I, I said that. I think it's a great goal. And, you know, but I, I like I say more, but then it's a let's actually have manageable way or expectations as far as what does more mean for us and how we're going to get there and what that does. And I think that that oftentimes has a or increases it to a much higher likelihood of success. And I would say, oh, we just want to do better than we did last year. Well, what does better mean? Does that mean that you make more money? Does that mean you bring on more team members? Does that mean you have more clients? And I think that uh, setting those goals and that expectations is a, is a great way to make sure you're successful. So, well, now as we've kind of walked through your journey, where you or how, where you came from, where you're at, and a little bit of where you're headed, um, now kind of uh, jumping to transitioning over to the two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. Um, we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, 
along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what'd you learn from it? The worst business decision that I think I ever made was not spending money faster or sooner. And so what we learned from that was, I think early on, when again, we were transitioning from our previous full-time jobs into talent marketplace, the first two years there were, were genuinely like a little bit rocky there. And I think part of that reason was because we were all a little bit hesitant because again, we were bootstrapped to actually spend our own money <laughs> to actually scale it up. And I don't know if that was necessarily like a hesitation in terms of like, believing in the business. We definitely believed in the business and the concept and we had the validation to prove that it was there. Um, maybe we didn't have enough, quite enough money saved up to feel comfortable to spend that kind of money that we needed. And the spending of the money would have been on things like sales and marketing or on things like the development of the product itself. Um, so like, I think the worst business decision that we made or I made particularly was not spending on the product sooner and faster. And I think that actually kind of put us up, put us behind our timelines, maybe about a year maybe or so. And like, yeah, looking back on it, I would have taken a bigger bet sooner. It's always easy. Like if you had a million dollars investment or something like that, it's easy to step out in somebody else's money. But when it's coming out of your own darn pocket, it's kind of hard to make that decision, I think. <laughs> no, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. I mean, but I mean, that's always when you're on the opposite side of the investor saying, hey, I want this money to be spent well, because when you're, you know, spending it, when you're spending other people's money, it's always, easy. it's kind of like the government. It's always easier to spend someone else's money. But when it's coming out of your own pocket, you're saying, well, do we really need that? Or, oh, we can hold off. Or is that really... And sometimes it's a good, it's good to bootstrap. It's good to um, keep a, you know, reasonable budget, not blow that blow out the spending, but by your same token, as you found out, you know, if you never invest in the company, you don't reinvest or you don't uh, continue to grow it. It can also hamper it because sometimes you're holding off making the decisions or making the investments you should because you're, you know, reticent about how much the cost is. So I think that's a, an easy mistake to make, but definitely a good one to learn from. Second question I always ask is, if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? The one piece of advice I'd give somebody just starting out is build something small and that delivers value right now. I think you were hinting on this earlier on, but I hear a lot of folks and like sometimes like students or like other aspiring entrepreneurs will come to me and they'll say something along the lines of, oh, I have this great idea. I need to like flesh it out here. I'm going to build this thing over here. I need to test it out over there. And it's a lot of, I'll, I'll say busy work that doesn't necessarily deliver direct value very quickly, right? Like our MVP was literally an Excel spreadsheet with 30 people and we got it in front of an employer and like that delivered real value to a real person. They didn't pay for it for the first time around, um, but they came back later and did pay for it. Um, so like the point is, and the piece of advice I would give to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs here is just basically build something small, simple, real right now get it out the door, deliver it, and then iterate on top of it. Like it doesn't need to be perfect now. It won't be perfect ever, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but like being able to get something out the door quickly to validate that idea, I think is a lot more important than spending hours and hours making it perfect and potentially never launching it. No, and I think there's a lot of, you know, and that it's, I think that's always, especially if you're an engineer, you have that kind of mindset you're always wanting to build it better. There's always another feature you can add. There's always something else you can do. And, you know, then you tend to, one, either you tend to overbuild or two, you, you drag it out so long that you kind of lose traction or you lose the momentum. And then you're, you know, you, you never, it never comes to fruition because you spent so, or so long on those activities that you never got to the, or actually launching it or otherwise getting it out there. So I think that starting small now, 
I'll give my one caveat was I hate the term minimally viable product. Not that I don't understand the concept, but in my mind, it always seems like let's put out the crappiest product that nobody's going to want and just see if they'll pay me for it. And I don't think that's the spirit of it. It's not say let's put out a crappy product, but let's see how, or let's put out what we think is a good representation. We'll put it out as quickly as possible, see how it works in the marketplace before we do that or more money and more in time and more investment, put out that good product. That in, in your case, it was an Excel spreadsheet because you could go and you could pitch it, but you still did the work. You didn't just say, hey, theoretically, in, you know, in, in uh, conceptual, you know, looking at it, would you pay for this? You say, hey, we got a, this product. Would you willing to pay for it or willing to use it? And then you get it launched. So I think that's a great piece of advice. Well, as we wrap up, if people are in the marketplace for talent, they want to use you, whether they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? The best way to reach out or contact me is just going to www.talentmarketplace.ca. Um, all the information is there. Otherwise, you can always find any of us on LinkedIn. We're pretty easy to find. My name again is Scott Hirsch. Uh, if you punch that into LinkedIn, you look for the one that's under Talent Marketplace, you'll be able to find me. All right. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, contact you, find out more, and uh, definitely support you, especially if you're in or the marketplace to hire talent. Sounds like a great resource. So, well, thank you again, Scott, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So uh, to sign up to be a guest on the show, just go to Inventive or apply to be on the show. You can go to InventiveGuest.com and, uh, and, and get, grab some time there to, to come on the show. Two more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe. One, make sure to share. Those are always a great way that we can make sure we can share everybody's awesome episodes with as many people as possible. So with that, thank you again, Scott, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. It was a lot of fun.